Friends, Brian here once again. Thank you so much for tuning in and checking out the Yes You Can Play Guitar podcast. Rob Arnold, Camara. Okay, so you guys know that I have a healthy appreciation for all types of music. But, you know, I like the heavy stuff too. And it's very interesting. I'm going to tell you guys a couple of interesting personal stories here. Camara, now they're doing a big reunion gig here. Now we're in April of 2023. My interview with Rob was last December. He had a new album come out called Magnitude, and Rob was kind enough to front me a a copy of it for an advanced hearing. It's awesome. You know, I love Rob as a guitar player and his riffing. Camara, they have a big reunion gig coming up in May here in 2023. But, you know, in their real heyday when they were younger and they're really in, in the industry and really moving... That was in the early 2000s, early to mid-2000s. You know, they were playing with the likes of uh, Machine Head and all kinds of other really big names in metal. The interesting thing was, and I, you know, I don't talk about it, I don't get into too much personal stuff on YouTube, but I'm going to share with you guys here. I was always a metal guy. You know, I played metal bands and stuff, but, you know, you know, I had a point in my life where I had met a woman and she had two kids, uh, the father abandoned the family. And for whatever reason, uh, it became unto me to financially support the family. Uh, looking back, I, I don't think that was a fair situation, and I think it contributed to, uh, you know, eventually the relationship ending. But anyway, it's not. I'm not bringing it up for that. But I had a music school, so I would teach guitar, and I eventually had my own school with instructors working for me. But at my peak, it was definitely at least a hundred students. So I was teaching. I was working seven days a week. So I was teaching. Uh, I was gigging, but more in the country field because uh, country gigs paid more money and I had a lot of financial pressure and stress on me. And uh, so it was guitar, 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 24 hours a day. And I remember just being exhausted all the time. But when Camara was really in their heyday, it was in the early 2000s. And at that time, I was teaching and gigging. And you know, I kind of knew of them, but I was a little bit out of touch with some stuff. But I'd have a student occasionally come in with a Camara song, Once in a Blue Moon, and I'd have to... I remember, so I got a half an hour. This is before Guitar Pro or any kind of automated computer stuff that can help you figure songs out really quickly. You know, I'd have an old <laughs> CD, CD player, and I'd have to sit there and really quickly decipher. I'd have a guitar there at standard tuning, and I'd have to quickly decipher figure what the tuning was and I you know with a bit of tinkering I figured out it was drop C tuning and uh, but I just you know I, I like the band I like the riffs and everything but for those of you guys that really have been tuning into my channel and keeping track and notes on me I had a couple of years of uh, I like going to the gym but I had a few years when I was away from music where I was into competitive lifting and Camaro was like there was just something about that impossibility of reason album it just it just set something off in me where I went it brought out that pit bull that animal in me there was something about the riffs the aggression Mark Hunter's vocals but uh, I I really grew to love Camara and especially that album so I I became re-aware of Rob as I knew who he was you know through the guitar media and and Camara and everything but he had a YouTube channel or he has a YouTube channel and I really like I really like this channel. I like his content. I like his production. And, and Rob's a very amicable guy. I mean, come on. How can you not like Rob Arnold? And Rob is always cool. Anytime I messaged him, you know, I don't like when I try to set up an interview, I don't like bugging people on their social media. But I, 
was communicating with Rob through Instagram and Rob was always cool. You know, he would always get back to me and he was just the coolest guy, you know, and it's kind of funny when Rob and I got talking, I kind of always thought we were the same age, but we're not. I have a few years on him. I make some references, uh, you know, Camara, there's just, uh, Mark Hunter has this, just something in his voice. It just reminds me a little bit of the legendary Canadian thrash band, uh, Sacrifice, who I'm a fan of. And, uh, you know, there's just something about Mark's vocal that just, <laughs> and those riffs, it just really pumps up the testosterone and brings out your aggressive side. But I kind of realized in our conversation, I, I keep forgetting, I got a few years on Rob. I got seven years on him. So I, I keep thinking we're the same age, but we're not. But uh, it was just a great conversation. So we talk about Camaro, we talk about bands, we talk about a lot of things. I don't want to give away too much here. But for those of you that are into YouTube or want to start a YouTube channel, there's some really cool stuff that we talk about in it and Rob talks about. But I will tell you this. One of the things I loved about Camara is that when that band ended, it wasn't on the best of terms. There's a lot of, you know, I kind of even remember then when was it 2011 or 2012, it kind of the band kind of imploded and Mark kept the band going with uh, he just hired some really good professional musicians to keep the band going. But it wasn't the same. You know, there's a chemistry thing that, you know, you either have or you don't. And you could have a, a successful band. You know, even for me, I remember playing in the regional circuit, you know, busy band with a lot of gigs. But, you know, if you replace someone, even if you bring in a better musician, if the chemistry's not there, there's drama, or there's problems. It's So then I guess Camaro recorded one more album and kind of packed it in for a while. And, uh, you know, I find Mark Hunter a very interesting, fascinating uh, individual too. Someday I'd like to have him on as well. But uh, I, what I really admire about Khmer is the fact that they were able to be mature, reconnect with each other, discuss whatever the differences was, but just become friends again. Because ultimately for them, they were friends before the music. You know, they went through a lot musically, but it's just nice to see them be friends. You know, a lot of bands, if they implode or someone leaves and there's drama, you know, it's usually that's it. And then as you'll see with some other famous bands, the, the, the two separate parties usually never have anything nice to say about each other, where when you see a band that can be like that and just be able to say, Hey man, let's just get together. Let's have some chicken wings. Let's talk. Let's figure it out and just be friends again. It's amazing. And, uh, that's my favorite thing about Camara, about Rob and Mark and Jim and those guys. So, but anyway, guys, again, if you want to support myself with what I'm doing with my podcast, a simple thing you can do is just go to my YouTube channel. Yes, you can play guitar. Just hit subscribe, man. Just hit subscribe. You don't even have to hit the bell. But if you hit subscribe, that helps me out a lot. And uh, you can check out my Patreons. I've got two different Patreon communities, one for my reaction community, one for my guitar community. Reaction community is Patreon slash Yes, You Can Play Guitar for my reaction community. My guitar community is... Patreon slash YYCPG guitar community. All right. So without further ado, here it is. Our, my awesome conversation with the Ref Meister General himself, Rob Arnold of Camara. Friends, Brian here for Yes You Can Play Guitar. I am wired and jacked on pre-workout, my friends. 
today, today, it is a very special honor today. The band Chimera, the album The Impossibility of Reason, in my other life when I was lifting, I did some crazy stuff. And to become this insane human being to lift the amounts that I was lifting, I had to listen to some special music. Chimera, oh, love that band, love the riffs, and you know what? I love the guitar player. It is my absolute honor today to have as my special guest, guitar player, riff meister extraordinaire, Rob Arnold himself. Rob, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, Brian, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. I hope the pre-workout goes to a good cause that this that this chat is a workout or else I wouldn't want that to go to waste, you know? Absolutely, my friend. Um, so Rob, let's just go through, quickly go through the generic, your guitar beginnings. What got you into guitar? All that is, we got so much to talk about today, so. Uh, sure. So yeah, just kind of long story short, in third grade, there was a, a kid in my class with long hair that I was just kind of intrigued by. We became friends. I went to his house. He had three older brothers, all long hair, Maiden, Van Halen, posters everywhere, guitar picks in the fridge, all throughout the house, in the garage, full setup, PA, drums, and everything. I was just like, whoa, I'd never seen anything like that. He sat oh. down, he played Panama for me. And that day I went home and said to my mom, I got to start playing guitar. And that was it. Never looked back. I mean, there was a couple like summers maybe where I wasn't playing because I was doing sports, but my, I had an older sister who was like into eighties metal and stuff. And she'd have boyfriends come over and they'd see my guitar sitting there and then they'd, they'd play some Metallica riff or something and I'd get back into it, you know, just be inspired. So just stuff like that, normal kid, you know, but um, always knew that I wanted to do it. I never knew what it could become, you know, but it, it, it took me meeting, you know, other play, like-minded players to see where that could go and to decide to pursue that and stuff. But um, yeah, music's definitely in me and um, it was shown to me at an early age, like I said there, and just just kept it going, kept going with it. Loved it ever since. You know, Rob, I'm under the impression somehow that I think Metallica might be your favorite band. Is that true? <laughs> they, def they, they definitely are, uh, without a doubt. Probably, well, Justice is my favorite record, but I think I got the Black Album first, probably like right around when it came out. I was only like 11 years old, 12 years old something like that and i mean and, and you know mtv was just playing the, the hell out of that enter sam and everything like that and you know that that changed everything and then it leads mm -hmm. you down the path of discovering everything else you know so what is it about I, i'm pretty much there with you with injustice for all i i was between there's some stuff on ride the lightning i like same thing with master puppets it's between master and injustice i think for me but what what do you think of uh what is it about injustice for all that does it for you um I would say uh, the the depth and complexity of the songwriting and the overall vibe. It's I think it's um, it's a it's just dark and angry. But I mean, each song are, are true, just opuses, masterpieces. You know, I mean, Metallica has has many masterpieces, but they made an effort, as you know, it's well documented, to to try to step it up on that record and the level they took it to isn't for everyone, you know, yeah. because a lot of people, more people are into fast food stuff. Uh, you know, not that Metallica really has any fast food stuff, but there's a certain level with that record that they, they decided to, to push it to in terms of, you know, being progressive and in ways that I don't think people had heard at the time and everything. And it just really resonated with me. Every single, every single thing about it from the production to the lyrics uh the solos god i mean that's kirk's solos on that you know or just just rang a bell with me for sure you know and yeah. my my style is obviously you know inspired by by kirk's playing and, and james riffing i mean mm -hmm. 
learning that record, you want to learn how to mute and and pick and arrange and put riffs together and everything like that learn the injustice for all record i mean you could do that with any of metallica record and still but for that one that's what just sparked a ton for me you know make me we'll get into this a bit more later but when you're riffing with your style okay and i've paid attention to it with the way you throw in some of the upstrokes when you throw in the ups did you get a little bit of that from that album like the shortest straw and stuff like that i'm sure i did yeah. You know, it wasn't intentional, I guess, but I'm not but, saying it's the same. I'm just saying, is that maybe like a, a one of the influences there where you kind of start getting that idea? For sure. I think being able to throw in uh, like upstrokes in certain certain ways, almost as as accents or sometimes as a, com- a comfortable a comfortability thing or yeah. whatever, just come more so with experience. Yeah. I don't think you can really describe to new players of like, oh, that'd be sound, this a, a different sound and upstroke may mm. may play on just a certain note as an accent or something. That's just something that comes to you later through through experience and playing. Yeah. So if you hear those and they sound great, then uh, I, I can certainly attribute it to to learning Metallica riffs. You know. You know that's that's a that's a you know there's a lot to Camaro riffing, but that's a big part of the riffing, and you've got some amazing. Uh, guitar lessons on your channel and we'll talk about your channel in a little bit that i would encourage a lot of metal guitar players you know I, i've had to teach some of that stuff years ago to a few students awesome. uh, pre-youtube <laughs> so it's like oh now yeah. i could just watch rob's channel and he just breaks it down right there but we'll get to that in a little bit um so metallica i i am a bay area thrash connoisseur so on my channel we cover all kinds of um all kinds of different uh music and whatever but i am a bay area thrash connoisseur now was it just metallica for you or did you get into the bay area thrash scene with the different bands yeah um i wouldn't call myself really a, a thrash fan you I mean megadeth and metallica are probably the uh the the real the real extent of of that side of things for me but uh, but there, there's so much more to them both those bands than thrash yeah. you know melody and just that progressive songwriting, like I talked about and stuff, but in terms of like uh, Exodus and um, Testament and, and that kind of stuff, um, you know, I like that stuff, but I never really gained a passion for it um, like I did with the aforementioned bands, you know, like Metallica and Megadeth. Okay. So after after Metallica, what were some of the other bands back in your formative years that really kind of... Sepultura, huge, yeah. you know, Pantera. I, mm-hmm. Both those bands, I attribute so much to their groove um you know had a huge impact on, on my playing metallica's groove as well um but um but yes yeah, sepultura is huge it's funny you said that you, you know students would bring you Camir songs before youtube and you'd have to figure that out i can remember being <laughs> 10 11 years old and bringing my 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 teacher um you know early sepultura songs and stuff and him being like oh man you know having, having to figure this out you know he's just a an older guy with a les paul you know just but yeah uh, so but but he, he would help me he'd not he'd figure him out you know well, i'd be stressed man i'm like i've got a, a paid half an hour with this kid and i'm on back with a cd player and i'm listening to the camera song and i'm like i have a standard tune uh thank god it wasn't a floyd it was a fixed bridge guitar and i'd be like okay, okay drop c oh my god okay like i, I just remember how stressed out i was to have to figure it out and make something of the lesson but uh that's cool. uh, no, yeah um rob you are from ohio yes uh so when i think of ohio i've been to ohio several times uh part of my training when i was uh, uh, really into my heavy competitive lifting uh i spent some time in columbus and cincinnati but wow. uh when i think of ohio uh I, I think of waffle house is one of the biggest things i think of 
amazes me we don't have them up in Canada. But mm. I always remember going through Ohio. There's a Waffle House or a Waffle House sign everywhere. Uh, did any Camara lyrics or riffs ever were they ever conceived while you're eating at a Waffle House? I suppose it's possible because uh, there there are definitely even far more Waffle Houses further south. If you're making your way along the Carolinas, uh, okay. Georgia, into Florida, stuff like that. And, and there was a period back um, in our van and RV days, you know, when we'd be, you know, we'd have to route ourselves and drive ourselves and all that. And, you know, food was a big thing and Waffle Houses were great because I'm pretty sure they were 24 hours and you could just cruise right in. Um, so uh, I'm sure there were discussions, at least, sitting around at Waffle Houses about about plans or certain riffs or maybe we could do this in this song oh yeah let's try that i can't remember any specifics though so you know the drew carey show you know at the end where he goes ohio that used to i, think I know of it i've honestly never seen that i realized drew carey is associated with with ohio something yeah. but uh, and I don't the know intro, at the end he just goes ohio and i don't know why that always irritated the hell out of me and i always asked one to ask someone from ohio does that bother you no no not at all what's the hello cleveland hello cleveland is it spinal tap or is that drew carey you're Hello, Cleveland. Man, I think he did the Cleveland Rocks, didn't he? Cleveland, yeah, yeah, that, that sounds familiar. So now, now we're going to start getting into this here, Rob. Um, being in metal bands, as you know, we had a little chat before we started. Uh, I did the metal thing in the 90s, very early 2000s, and uh, it's a tough grind. I think in our head, I want to try and explain this right. In our head, we have this naivety when we get into music, and it's tough. Like, it, people really... You know, you know, I mean, obviously, Camaro was an amazing band, but even like in a regional band trying to build your way up, it was tough. And I eventually got to a point for me where I was like, look, man, I want to get my bills paid. I want to eat. It's very tough. Like, I really uh, have always been fascinated. I've watched the Camaro documentaries several times, including uh, this week, getting prepared for our discussion today. Uh, you guys were just like, man, it's just the toughness, the nitty gritty, the... I can't imagine how many times you guys must have said, screw it, I'm not doing this anymore. Like to get through everything you guys got through. Um, uh, it's so hard to convey to young musicians. Now, when I see bands that stick it out and, and make it, I'm like, kudos to you, man. It, it's really, uh, uh, when did you guys really get hit with the reality of going, this is going to be tough. This is going to be a slog. I don't, I don't necessarily know that we thought it, thought about it like that. I think that we welcomed that as, as a matter of fact, um, I would say that it all started when Kamira was being put together and the mentality at that time. And this was even before me, I joined maybe like three months after its inception. So I'm definitely an original member, but, but Mark Hunter, the singer, and at the time, Jason Hagar, they said, uh, who, who was a guitar player in a band called Ascension, who was also from the area with Matt DeVries. So that all worked itself in later and everything. So we were just some bands. Andals and I were in a, were in a band, you know, um, just different bands from the Cleaner Mara. And um, Mark Hunter and Jason Hagar got together and said, "Let's do this for real." So you know, it'd be we'd be gigging, you know, just little little, little clubs around the city. Um, me and Andals were still in high school, um, you know, guys. There was a big hardcore scene going on, and guys were playing for fun, hoping maybe something would happen, but. Mark and Jason made that that statement to themselves, you know, let's do this. Let's get signed. Mark said, I have a dream. I want to be on Roadrunner Records and we're we're going to do this. And so 
they started recruiting some other guys. My name, my name came up um, because the bass player they had found at the time I had known and he just happened to recommend me. I was just working at Pizza Hut. I wasn't really doing anything. Annals and I, our band wasn't really doing much anymore. Um, and they brought me in with that mentality. And then the mentality was also that everybody's going to be here at practice five days a week at this time, your job, your girlfriend, your everything comes second, because that's what it's going to take to really do this. And that mentality weeds out the week, you know, only, only people that can commit to that and, and have that fortitude to do that can try to make that happen. So first of all, it takes that, then you have to make music that people like. So we got lucky in, in that regard that we were doing something that for some reason people liked, whether it was the groove of the riffs, the vocals, or just all that, maybe maybe the, the the vibe that we portrayed because we were serious and people can tell that. They can tell if it's, it's just fun or fake or these, whoa, these guys are serious and they're bringing it hard every night. They're putting everything into this. Looks like they have their shit together. They show up, you know, they're, we were well rehearsed. We studied all the time. You know, we'd, we'd watch Slayer DVDs together as a band, Machine Head DVDs, look how they were doing things just because we knew we wanted to be professional. And then just chips start falling into place. You get all of a sudden we're on Roadrunner. Yeah. All of a sudden we're on tour with Slayer. All of a sudden yeah. we're on tour with Slipknot. And it's because of choices we made. And um, so the, the how hard that was, we weren't thinking about that at the time. I, in hindsight, of course, you know, man, it took a lot of effort. A lot of things had to go right. Um, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears went into it. But uh, it was just that mentality that we're, we're going to do this that led us down the path to success. Yeah. Um, now we got to talk about the anger because uh, Chimera is a very pissed off band. All right. And I got a, a kind of a roundabout, one of my Brianism stories I'm going to tell you. Uh, where do you think the anger comes from, Rob? Um... Well, Mark, Mark has a, has a special anger inside of him and we're all really just fun, fun, happy guys. Um, you know, but I would say that the anger is inspired by the angry music that we love. We go back to the Metallica, like we were talking about from the death metal and then the hardcore stuff, the angst in that hardcore at the time from integrity and earth crisis and, you know, just that, that, that type of stuff. You know, that teen angst happening at the time and everything. I, I think that's what it came, came from, coupled with that that's just what sounded good to us. I don't like happy sounding metal. And uh, I, I like stuff that has has just, I, mean, I call it sometimes like an evil edge. You know, I don't consider myself like an evil guy. I like an evil edge in, in my metal. And if there's yeah. any hint of happiness in the riffs or something like that, it doesn't appeal to me. So... I think that a lot of it just just comes from that that it's what we like to hear and so that's what we produce so you know sometimes you can connect with a certain type of music and I, i'm going to tell you a funny story it kind of involves you uh the riffs in camara the drumming uh mark you know we could do a section just talking about him he, to me he's an amazing vocalist there's something in his voice but i had messaged you and you guys i gotta tell you rob was always really cool you know like Anytime I'd message him or comment on his, he'd always respond or comment back. Um, and believe me, I know with a growing YouTube channel, that can get more and more difficult to do. But uh, I asked Rob a question many months ago, and I kind of realized, oh, I think I have a few years on these guys. Because <laughs> I just kind of assumed we were the same age. And then, But I said to him one day, I said, you know, <clears throat> Mark, uh, he reminds me of this just a little bit. There's something in his vocal about this that reminds me a little bit about this metal band from Toronto called Sacrifice and they these guys Sacrifice were around 
basically they were kind of the forerunners of thrash too especially in canada uh they kind of reunited and stuff and rob rob wrote me by said hey man never heard of them but uh uh but anyway listening to that band it brought out something in me and, and there's a point i'm telling you this and i'm going to tell you a funny story in 93 i was driving with my girlfriend at the time do you remember those no fear stickers do you remember them you might be too of course them? we were sponsored by no fear for a long time actually yeah i shouldn't i shouldn't tell you the story then but this this guy they had a truck decaled out in that and they started tag um what's that called when someone falls right behind you tailgating me with high beams oh, tail- oh yeah 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 and uh so I, i'm getting mad right like i'm a nice guy but man like and they're, they're following me around they're like threatening to hit the back of my bumper at the lights and stuff this is like three in the morning so anyway I managed to get away from them when I drop uh, uh, my girlfriend off, and I leave, go back to the main road where those guys were, and I put Sacrifice on. And there was just something about the vocals and those riffs. And then I see them, I put the high beams on, I pull up behind them, and I grab a baseball bat, and I'm out chasing after them, and it just it just did something to me. <laughs> and, and we're talking about that with Mark, with Camaro, with the vocals and the riffs. I just it just brings out this other side, other side of like anger and humanness, and it's crazy, like. When I'm listening to the impossibility of reason in my vehicle and someone starts tailgating me, they're literally in mortal danger of me getting it and flipping the car over. Now, I want to stress, Rob, that's in Canada. In the States, you don't know what somebody's packing with the weapons and stuff. So in the States, I just tend to go, what's up, dude? <laughs> so, but anyway, I you just never know. To, it. Yeah. Well, you got to remember caffeine. with Mark. What's that? You got caffeine, yeah. Yeah. So you I got to sure. remember with Mark. The guy, the guy hates everyone. Yeah. Right. So, and what's funny, I add one more thing to that. I don't know if I mentioned this in our conversation, but Mark and Jim, uh, Jim Lamarca, before Camira, were in a band called Sacrifix. Yeah. Did I say that? I don't know if I did, but they were in a Sacrifix. When I, so when you said that, I may have thought, oh, is he talking about Sacrifix? I don't yeah. know. No, no <laughs> sacrifice, but uh, there's just something in the, those riffs and that vocal. And, and I mean, Mark's. You know, I saw the uh, the documentary on him too. It's very fascinating. He's a fascinating guy, but he's an amazing vocalist at what he does. It was cool to see him uh, filling in for Lamb of God. But now, you know, I wasn't there. I wasn't in the band. But it's kind of like Jim's almost kind of like the humorous guy, and Mark's almost like the serious guy. And maybe you're somewhere in the middle, maybe. Totally. We all we all equal each other out in some way. But yeah, Jim Jim's definitely the character of the band. And um, I remember seeing those guys playing around in Cleveland. When I, like like I said, when Andals and I were still in high school and I didn't know them. And I knew at that time, whoa, Mark is ferocious. That guy's awesome. I'd love to play with him. And Jim had a stage presence about him like like that that I could never have. You know, like he's just so comfortable um, and loves interacting with the crowd. And, and, you know, as an audience member, that's impressive. Like I was like, whoa, you know, so um, getting then getting into a band with those guys uh, was 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 certainly cool. And they were they were like upperclassmen. We all went to the same high school, but they were probably seniors when I was a freshman and, and, you know, and so by the time I was a senior and doing the stuff, they had been out of school for a while and, uh, and doing bigger, better things, bigger shows around Cleveland with their local band and stuff. So they were idols to, to us younger guys. And, um, and like I said, I, I, I knew there was something special about Mark back then before yeah. ever meeting him. Dude, amazing. You know, like, it, you know, I'm too old to be a fighter now, but like if I was a fighter or, or you know, even lifting, I'd want him in my corner. Just, <clears throat> but, um, <laughs> Uh, now, did I I read properly that uh, Mark and Jim were in a band called Skip Line, and their and their van was jacked? Yep. So, yeah, can, can yeah. They, they, it, just one of those situations where they were doing a little 
four or five uh regional show stints and uh i think maybe it was rhode island or something like that up there where the you know that they parked the van after the show at the hotel went to sleep came out in the morning to start the next day wherever they're going and there's just no van oh my god so i think they continued maybe there was one show at the couple show i think they borrowed gear and rode in the van packed in with another uh band and um needless to say you know the the tour was uh not so much of a success <laughs> uh the the drop c tuning yeah so um you know when you when you listen to the dehumanizing process when that riff kicks in at that tuning you know i've always been kind of like i've never been a big drop tuning guy i've always been standard half step down whole step down um there's just something about that freaking tuning with you guys i i don't know it just gets my gut going i i'll keep saying that and saying that there's just i had this connection with the music um what what got you to that tuning like what how did that develop it's it's kind of as simple as this i don't remember the exact timeline because all of a sudden we got it we got into drop a for a minute you know and i can't remember if that was before or after drop c but at any rate i, I was an e guy as well and right before joining Kamira, I discovered drop D easy, just drop your six string, you know, a little bit. And then you could play those bar chords. And there were, that was what a ton of the hardcore bands from the area were doing, playing these bar chords, the power chords, which is bar. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I like, I like that sound. Um, and then later in Kamira, maybe we started in drop C, but I can just remember this moment where Mark, Mark's saying, we're going to do drop C. That's what Machine Head plays in. I hear it's the most evil tuning. It's as simple as that. So that's what we did. <laughs> now, what I'm saying is, is I don't remember if we went to seven strings because we went to seven strings from sixes because bands like Korn, um, you know, we're, we're doing that at that time. And I think Mark said, this is what bands are doing right now. Korn, Deftones and stuff like that. Let's do that, too. And that choice was as simple as that as well. So we went out and bought seven strings and started writing the Pass Out of Existence songs. And um, and so that was cool. And the sound was cool. But. I was like, oh, I'm just not comfortable on a seven string. I don't really like this. All my sweet spots are gone. Like I have to like take an extra second to translate where my boxes are yeah. and stuff like that if I want to improvise. Yeah. Um, and eh, just seven strings still to me feel bulky, you know, and just they're not, they just don't feel the same. And um, so then after, after pass out, that's when I said, I think we should tune back up. I want the riffs to get tighter and cleaner and faster and more ferocious. Let's move away from um this da -da 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 type of stuff that we were doing with, with pass out and let's tune up it may have been right there that mark said all right let's try drop c or maybe we just went back to drop c and we had been doing it before pass out i can't, I can't remember that exactly yeah so uh now dude the 6505 so i used to have a rig with the 6505 and the cabinet i was using 6505 plus but uh, i just have a little combo now just just in the event i ever go out and jam with somebody but that's not so likely anymore but cool. um, see. yeah, a couple line sixes. No, that's for, those are for teaching. Yeah. What What's that bigger one? Is that a is that, that a fifty one? Sixty five oh five. Okay. Yeah. 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 Cool. It's a combo. Yeah. Dude, they're awesome, man. How How did you stumble onto those? Man, I feel like we're just just talking about Mark here, but it's the same thing. <laughs> his His rig when we started Kamira was a uh, was a, a fifty one fifty block letter and a um, a Lesis meq 230 like this uh two channel multi-band eq and um i i think through a marshall cab i forget but anyways he said this is rob flynn's rig listen to this and yeah. 
we are and i came i i was coming in with a crate half stack and uh jason i don't know what he was coming in some beat he had some beat up marshall uh half stack but or maybe it was like a weenie or something i don't know but anyways there was no denying that Mark's rig at that time, because he's he was he was like writing songs. He was still just a singer, but he would like write songs with us and and he played guitar in skip line, but he knew he wasn't gonna be the guitar player in Kamira, but he would still write with us and jam with us and stuff. Um, but I mean his his sound just crushed everybody's. It was so loud and and heavy. Um, so that's what we just continued with. And it was on um this this, this is a funny story. It was on uh, we were on Ozfest in 2003 the very first show the very first song i had nothing i blew a fuse on on a, the a 5150 i think it was mark's 5150 that i was using at that show i blew a fuse immediately my tech went and ran he had a he just wasn't prepared for this I had to run to the trailer i'm already missing a song or two came oh, back no. with fuse. it kept blowing fuses so we borrowed an amp from another um from another guy but a couple shows later we were in georgia where pv was or is and um and the the, Mar the PV guys came out and we got a chance to talk to them. And I told them that I had this, this 5150 that's blown. And they said, I'll tell you what, let us take this with you. We'll fix it and we'll send it to you uh, a few in a few shows. And in the meantime, try out a couple of these 5152s. And they gave us brand new 5152s that day. Wow. Then, so we're using these 5152s. They sound fantastic. I don't even really miss the 5150, but uh, a month passes. I don't hear any from them couple months pass i don't hear anything from them so i call and i'm like hey I'm, what's going on with this 5150 and they're like uh hold, hold on a minute hold on and they go and they they're you know i'm on hold for a minute they come back and they're like hey we're sorry we don't know what to tell you here but um i think we think it's gone we just no one no one knows where <coughs> they are. um and basically that right there uh with the team of guys that was working with pb at the time or whatever i don't think it's the same anymore but that right there was the moment where we anything we ever needed from PV we got so we got a bunch of more 5152s then when the 6505s came out they sent us a bunch of those and then Ellison became our rep mm -hmm. uh, you know and uh, we could talk uh, we could talk about that too but Ellison was sending us JSXs and triple X's and different cabs to try out and stuff like that so our our, our relationship with PV um was super fruitful and it all just kind of stemmed really from them I think feeling bad that they lost this head and so hey we just got got a free ride from there on out <laughs> oh, dude that's that's awesome and actually Ellison's a great guy he's been on here he's done an interview with me before yeah 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 I'm great really, guy I'm seeing that yeah um so sometimes when it's, you're trying to bring reality to you know people coming up now you have very detailed videos awesome videos on your channel which we'll get to about pedals noise gates all that other stuff you know, we like some of the stuff out now, you know, I'm not going to mention brand names and stuff, but now like some of the stuff you need to program, you need a PhD to program some of these uh, products out there now. And that's wonderful. I, I, you know, I had my stage 20 years ago where I had my rack effects all linked up with MIDI and I had this like, but it's, it, you want to explain to people too, like, look, dude, when you're on stage, especially, you know, with the security and stuff, you get drunk people coming up, spilling beer on your pedals, on your pedal board, stepping on your pedal board where the adapters are. You know, I'm of the mindset, I, I don't gig anymore, but I'm of the mindset where, you know what? A few pedals, a good a good tube amp, and a good guitar on your fingers, that's all you need. What right. is your feeling about how crazy some of the stuff is now? What's really reality with being practical with going out and playing? Well, I've always been a meat and potatoes guy. I agree. The guitar yeah. and the amp. You know, if you need a couple, need a couple stomp boxes, 
that's what you do. Um, it got to a point uh, for, for Kamira's live show where I was having to do too many simultaneous pedal changes. Like, um, let's say a, a song like Lazarus off our self-titled. To get into that solo, I'd be on the clean with a chorus on and then to hit the solo all pretty much all at the same time, I'd have to hit my channel, hit, hit my chorus pedal, turn on my delay, uh, and, and my boost or something, you know, to, to get, to get my lead sound, just to play the solo. And it was, just, I was just dancing around. And, um, that's where I read an interview, um, with Dave Mustaine, where he was using, um, a Digitech GSP 1101, which was the first time at this time, let's call it 06 or seven that I had really heard of a multi-effects processor. I mean, I knew that they existed, but it was the first time that it came into my thought, like, huh, maybe I should try that. And so that became a beautiful thing where I could program all my switches into one button for each song. Fantastic. Um, I still use that thing today, but I've realized that the technology is getting older and I need to uh, upgrade. So I've been thinking about that. I've been watching Ola Ingalls channel, which is leading to yeah. my point, which will answer your question. Um, and so, man, the technology for all that stuff uh, has really come a long way and it's getting crazy. And I've almost pulled the trigger a couple times now on, uh, I've been looking at the boss. Uh, I think it's the GT 1000 or something. That's now a few years old, probably like 2017 or 18 model. And their newest one, the boss, uh, I think it's like a GX 100 which I was really interested in and it was simple and was going to need it. It could do everything I needed to do. The, the reviews were crazy about uh, its amp modeling technology, which isn't an interest of mine, but I wouldn't mind having the option. But then I started changing my mind because guys are talking about how the interface on it is from like 2000, you know? And so the interface just hasn't kept up to date with it. And I don't want that. I don't want it to be difficult. I want it to be super easy and, and all that. So uh, I agree that that it's it's kind of become crazy and that oftentimes stuff like that can lead to analysis paralysis where you have so many options that you can't just commit to what you would have committed to before, which is your guitar and your amp and your pedal. Last thing about this is that in the latest uh, Sunday with Ola, uh, everybody on your channel who doesn't know of Ola, I'm sure you do, but but check his stuff out because yeah. he's, you know, his, his channel is the best guitar channel out there, you know, for in terms of gear reviews and all that kind of stuff. But anyways, in his adventure, uh, last week's episode, he goes to a club to see one of his buddies' bands or something, and he says, ah, real amps. I like that. And and it was like, okay, so even he still realizes, even though he goes through all this quad cortex, all this um, axe effects, all the everything like that, even though he demonstrates that stuff and makes cool tones from it, he knows, too, that there's nothing like standing in front of a full stack. There's nothing like the sound you get from a meat and potatoes rig live if you really want to bring you know heavy guitar sounds absolutely and there was a phase years ago uh, machine head being one of the bands that would use the axe effects to save on the freight when they were touring yeah uh, uh for you guys was it always just you just relied on what the promoter provided when you were touring or did you guys try and haul some of your own stuff well certainly in north america we always brought all our own everything yeah um, I mean, we would use the house PA systems, but we traveled with our with our own uh, front of house engineer, our own lighting engineer, all that all the time. So our, yeah. our front of house engineer knew what our sound should be. He's a, an absolute audio genius and he'd tune the PA for the clubs every single day, like just because he wanted us to sound good. So the, yeah. the, the clubs would get a free tuning from a from an audio master. Um, but but then in terms of going overseas. Um, we we would we always used to ship all our gear and um, probably around 2005 when, when one of the bills just to ship our gear back was 30 grand. Oh. We were like, we, which just ate up a bunch of the, the, the profit margin and stuff like that. We were just like, all right, we got to put an end to this. 
So then we made one last shipment and created our European backline over there, which is what the big bands do, you know? So like I said, we'd study that stuff. So then at that point, we had a full European backline over there. So we didn't have to travel with anything except our, our backpacks and our suitcases when we'd go to go to Europe, you know? And then there are certain things that we would supplement through rental companies out there, you know, if we needed some extra cabs or if we needed, uh, you know, just, just whatever, you know, there's rental companies that specialize in all that. Listen up, kids. You got a lot of wisdom and experience going on here. Um, so, Rob, that that incident you had with the fifty-one fifty is that? Would you say that was your worst uh, gear breakdown incident live, or was there something that happened that was worse? Um, without thinking, stopping to really think about it, I would say definitely, and only because of the, you know, just monumental moment that that was. Getting on Ozfest at that time was just the pinnacle. You know, like it, there was no bigger. I mean, maybe, maybe I'm a Metallica tour, but even still, I mean, we're on tour with with Ozzy and and Manson and Corn, and I mean, just the vibe. It's just the best best thing ever. Playing outdoors, you know, every single day, huge crowds, metal scene booming, everything fantastic. So for the first show and the very first note, we open with "This is Power Trip." Uh, uh. Uh, and I'm like, oh, oh, you know, like, so, and then my, my tech just scrambling because you have to identify a blown fuse in the middle of an Ozfest set, you know, stuff like that. And then when he finally brings it, it blows again. So it was something uh, with like, you know, the transformer or something blowing them. And so I missed, you know, the first three, four songs. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, just because of that moment, that was probably my worst gear breakdown. Oh, man. Uh, so you've been, as long as I've been aware of you, you've always been playing ESP guitars. Yes. And how did all that come about? Um, well, uh, when we when we signed our, our Roadrunner deal back, um, this was still we, we were at the tail end of, of getting good record deals when those existed. And part of that deal was an equipment budget. So we uh, we knew we were going to be going out to L.A. to record um, Pass Out of Existence. But we stopped the Guitar Center first and bought um, four Mesa cabs a full brand new drum set, all new cymbals, all new cables, uh, new basses, all this. And we were going to buy guitars too, but Mark had just been in LA and had like a, just a sit down with our new manager and Stefan from the Deftones happened to be there amongst some other guys. And he said, when you come to, out to LA to record, um, let's do a song together and I'll hook you, guys, hook you up with the ESP guys too. Wow. So Mark didn't really know what that meant. But of course, the next day at practice or when we saw him, he's like, yeah, Stefan said he's going to get us some guitars. We're just like, all right, whatever that means. We don't we don't even really know. I had never played an ESP guitar at that at that point. I was playing Ibanez's. Yeah. And um, so. So at, back to the Guitar Center now, we're about to buy a bunch of guitars. Marcos, hold off. We can always buy new guitars in L.A. if we want them. Let's see what what this deal is with Stefan. And um, long story short, we're driving out in the van. We're coming up on the West Coast. Mark calls Stefan, says, hey. We're going to arrive there tomorrow. Um, you know what that offer you made to us, or what you said about these ESP guitars. What, uh, what do you think? And he's like, "Hold on, I'll call you right back." Calls us right back and says, "All right, you got an appointment uh, tomorrow at noon at the ESP um, warehouse. Here's the address or something." So we're like, "Okay," and um, go in the next day, shake hands with the guys, say hello. Ten minutes later, we're just back in the warehouse. They said, "Take whatever you like." Uh, so each of us. Me, Mark, Jim, and Jason Hagar at the time each just left with two guitars that day. I, I grabbed a couple uh, M1, no, I grabbed the Viper VB300 LTD and um, an M1000. Yeah. And, uh, and on the way out, they said, let's talk about some custom guitars. 
and we were just like what you know it's like all right you know and uh so we started working on um the ra1 and uh and hagar hagar had a, a custom at that time too or maybe matt maybe matt replaced them by the time they were ready i can't remember that but um anyways it's just one of those things where thank you stefan because of stefan from the deftones clout yeah that that happened like that i still yeah. have to pinch myself that that because dude i would i i knew of esp only because of the posters on my wall with james and kirk playing them and i was like man that'd be great to play those you know yeah. and here i am you know it's you know it, when you've traveled the tough road too man you guys had some blessings too for sure like that that's totally. awesome um, totally so man i'm jacked up on caffeine dude <laughs> i'm so jacked up that's okay um so it's so it's one of the funny things about Rob too is you know I loved Camara and, and when I started my channel and I started an Instagram about a year ago, I've only really started working on my Instagram the past couple of months really, but I would send Rob really funny messages or comments on his thing just to try and get his attention. But I'd be like, one of the things was I'd be like, he plays the sickest guitars, but where's the neck pickup? Like I hate middle pickups. I hate, I have no use for them, but. For me, when I'm sweeping and doing some fast picking stuff, sometimes I like the neck pickup. But I, I remember messaging you and going, dude, where's the neck pickup? Hey, man, I never, just never found a need for him. I like just having the one there. So I remember getting a kick out of that. That's the exact answer I would have given you right now, too. <laughs> yeah. No, that's really cool, man. Um, Teach their own. Yeah, yeah. And um, I wanted to ask you really quickly, too, uh, for people that ever watch the documentaries on Camara, um, for people that have played in bands, sometimes it's really hard to relate to people. And that's one of the good things about having YouTube channels. You can share your experience and try and help people not make the mistakes you've made. But one of the big things that came to mind when I watched uh, both um, both uh, documentaries back-to-back -back was the issue of band chemistry in bands. We don't, you know, Rob, we don't have to mention names or say anything. But band chemistry is so important, right? You could play with someone who's a wicked player, but if there's a personality thing happening how would you emphasize to young musicians coming up how important band chemistry is it's infinitely more important than talent okay because just kind of like you said if you have five let's just call say five steve vies in the band but they don't get along it's not going to last yeah. It's not going to be, uh, they're not going to create classic albums and shows that you'll love for years and stuff. It just, it just won't. But a band with great chemistry that can, that, that has a chemistry that can be sensed by an audience via a live show or via the DVDs where you can, you know, fall in love with those characters. Cause none of us are the best musicians. Andals is, is the greatest musician by tenfold in our band in terms of his, his knowledge of, of, of music and theory and um, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, got me, Mark, Matt, we're all street players that got lucky that people like the riffs we play, you know, but, mm -hmm. but Andals is, is really educated on that. Um, so there is, is what I'm saying is the proof that, that the chemistry that we had ha and have that we didn't really even know that we had is, was it played a, a, a tremendous part in our success more so than our ability to play our instruments. Um, it, it propelled us, gave us the rocket fuel early on mm -hmm. to then improve as musicians as well and become a, more solid songwriters and focus in because, you know, we didn't, you know, we were given the opportunity to do that. Yeah. 
So, but we just made it on our good looks at the beginning. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there's a there's a, a, a really cool documentary. It was on Netflix. It might be on Tubi now. Might be on Prime. It's called Hired Gun. And there's a section in it where they're talking about hired gun session musicians. And there's a part where Rob Zombie said, hey, man, finding a talented person who can play the parts isn't a problem. Can I put up with this a-hole for two years on a bus? That's, that's exactly. the big question. So uh, exactly. it, it's it's really, you know, and I've, I, I had this funny little series on my channel a while ago about the different personality types and why bands don't work out and they don't get along and stuff. So, like, you have the type A personalities who are the very driven but sometimes they tend to clash with other type A personalities. But then you have the typical, uh, the resistor, the guy that just has to be a bit difficult. Just so Rob doesn't always get his way. I'm just, I'm just going to be difficult for the sake of being difficult. And I actually categorized all these different personality uh, traits in bands and why, how sometimes it's hard who gets along with who and who doesn't get along with who. But if you can find that balance of uh, the personality, it is very important. And you know, I look back at some of my band experiences however small they may be in, in more of a regional uh setting you know my communication skills weren't the best back in the day i i just you know if i had my communication skills now without all the caffeine I, you know i probably could have done a better job at resolving some issues or but my big thing was you know i often say to people being in a band's like a relationship in the beginning people are always going to tell you what you want to hear to get things going but once it gets going you know, maybe I had an intense personality, but I just, I was big on people keeping band agreements. Like this was our agreement and this is what we were going to do. And when people start to not do it, I used to get ticked off. Well, that's integrity and you should expect nothing less. And, and yeah. if someone doesn't have integrity, they're not going to be easy to work with, Absolutely. you know, but having, having good character traits like that, um, you know, integrity, work ethic, um, you know, even down to punctuality, stuff like that. They're, they're important when there's a group of people relying on one another to make a common goal, uh, happen you know yeah. so so my best advice just for for all young players is, is just have a great attitude you yeah. know because that can that can overcome all you know when you get to when you get to a club you know treat the staff um you know be friendly with them be respectful of of, of their gear and their job and maybe that they're pissed that they're work they're working that yeah. day so just remember that because it's only going to lead to good things if you're cool you're going to sound better you're probably going to look better you know than 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 the alternative so if rob arnold could go back and talk to the Rob Arnold of 20 years ago. So if you right now could go back for five minutes and sit down with yourself 20 years ago, whatever, what would you say to yourself? Oh, I would, I would, I would definitely number, the number one thing that comes to mind is I would say stop and smell the roses more because I was just very, very driven. It's funny when you describe type A, I, I don't know those differences other than what you just said there. And I would, I would say I was a mix of what you said, I, I, I'm very driven and focused but also i always have to hear the other side of the coin or i have to present the other side of the coin which can be difficult can be taken as constant second guessing and stuff like that but i only have the best intentions take it as you will sort of thing but um i think i would tell myself kick it a little bit more and look out at those audiences and realize okay you've made it here take a few deep breaths before you start moving to the next ledge of the mountain or trying to because i was always just trying to move up we all were and so that helped get us successful but i would i'd want to look out at those big crowds again yeah. which is maybe something i'll never do again you know and uh, and just be like hey wow holy shit you know like not many can can be blessed with this so that and then uh, and then i would probably tell myself try to be a little more easygoing as yeah. well you know because there, the, the, because there's no rules out there in the music game 
there's there's just a lot of wild west there's a lot of um you know just guys that don't know what they're doing having to make big decisions yeah um a lot of and, and in bands there's a lot of inner turmoil because people everyone thinks that their decision should be the decision that's made or the best decision or they know what's best so there's a lot of clashing things like that so i think i would try to be a little more easygoing listen to to others more but all these are just things that everyone learns as they become older and wiser that you can't expect uh, your younger self to to be aware of but ha given the opportunity that's what i'd say you know what i really admire about you guys and guys I, i'm i'm brutally honest but you know what i really admire about you guys that probably that? a lot of bands could learn from you guys what's that well uh you know when you left the band you know it, it's a grind who knows what happened that's kind of uh, between you guys but it wears on people being in that grind all the time and you know different things happen right but you did some really cool stuff like it's it's like you know you've done stuff since with jim you've done stuff with mark you've uh, you've listened to the camaro record that you weren't on you you just you guys seem to like okay we we went through a lot together but we kind of reconnected as friends again like our relationship as friends and that tie together is more important than all the bs right you know, you know, trying to be friends with an ex-bandmate, guys, let me tell you, it's kind of like trying to be friends with your ex. Yeah. How many of you can do that? <laughs> right? But I just, I, I really admire that in your channel, man, seeing that stuff going, man, like, that's that's cool. That speaks to almost, like, if not more than the music. It's like, these guys value their friendship and just say, look, man, we, we went through some stuff, but it's all good. It, it became, just in a nutshell, it just kind of became toxic in the end, a, a mix of 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 egos maybe um you know success kind of dying off a little bit and you know because bands go through waves yeah you know um there's certain bands that could stick that out machine head and slayer come to mind you know when we we're when we were with touring with slayer they were on a down point we were playing house of blues or whatever and then when i just saw them on their farewell tour they're just selling out arenas so bands go through up and downs machine Head, like i said as a huge example um they were open for us at a point which is we just couldn't believe that yeah. you know like uh but but they that's what they needed to do we our band was on the rise we we're both on roadrunner so our advisors or whatever said this is what should happen machine head said okay to that and they weathered the storm and now they're back on top you know and Kamira fell off so um but anyways there was a lot of toxicity in the band and it came to a point i think where where it just wasn't fun and guys started dropping including myself which i never would have thought that i could have left left that band i had far too much passion for it and it was just too heavily rooted in every aspect from the business to the music and everything but it eventually came to that point like i said where i needed to get out and it wasn't it was ugly at the end and i wasn't able to talk about Kamira, not, not no one said I wasn't able to, but I didn't want to talk about Kamira uh, for for five years. I didn't want to uh, to relive that. It was I was that was my way of dealing with stress, which I never I've been a fortunate guy. I've never had much stress to deal with, but now all of a sudden I had all the stress, and I well, the only way I could deal with it was just to bury it. Yeah. And um, then, but but Kamira was still asked all the same questions we're asked today. People wanted to know what was going on. Will we reunite? Will there be new music? All this kind of stuff. So I'm hearing all this stuff, um, you know, on social media and stuff over the years. But it was the reunion, finally getting back together, that Jim finally started orchestrating. Hey, I'm going to try to get Mark and Rob talking again. Oh, I'm going to try to get Mark and Chris talking again. Jim and Mark started talking again because none of us were talking to Mark for 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 a lot of years. Yeah. Just the way that the the cookie crumbled. But um, so Jim started orchestrating that and. We, we got together and we did it and the weight lifted off everyone's shoulders was just tremendous and 
And it was easy just to reconnect for us because we were super tight back then. You know, yeah. we, we were bros back then. And just that there was something got driven in between us and it sucked. And to have that removed from us, we just felt, everyone fell back in and everyone's cool again. No, no, but you know, no drama at all. That's, I don't know how many bands actually can do that because you don't see that a lot. Like, you know, in a story I'll, I'll tell everyone here and yourself really quickly. The last original metal band I was in was a very heavy band very early 2000s it was, i was going through a very stressful time in my life and then the money that had to go out to go into uh, uh recording it uh, in the studio doing a cd and stuff it all imploded and i ended up leaving and i remember just freaking out at the main guy you know he did vocals and, and guitar and he was an amazing talent i remember sending him the nastiest email and i sent it to him and you know it haunted me for years and about 10 years later, I just wrote him. I said, dude, this has been bugging me for 10 years. I'm really sorry. I was a real dick. And he wrote me back like the next day. He said, dude, don't worry about it. We got together for dinner and a jam like that week. Like there's just something about the humanity of it when people can do that. I don't know. It just means a lot to me. I'm like, so I'd see your videos where you're doing stuff with Mark and you're doing stuff with Jim. And just, I don't know. I just thought it was really cool. You don't see a lot of former bandmates do stuff like that. So maybe in a way you're kind of a trendsetter. I don't know. Amen. And I guarantee, yeah, your, uh, your bandmate there was probably relieved to receive that that message you know and just yeah. to bury the hatchet like i said is just a, a gratifying feeling to get that weight off your shoulders i i talked to him the other night i said dude i'm busy i got a lot of stuff going on but if you want to plan a few gigs next summer or something arrange something we're getting the band back together man well i don't know if uh, another band member i don't know I, I don't know if i could deal with him but uh um but moving along though uh i love your youtube channel man Thanks, man. Thank you. I, I, I got. It. I got to be honest. It's been one of my inspirations, but it's just your production and your freaking thumbnails. Like you'll put out these thumbnails. I'm like, you know, I, I take some pride in my thumbnails. They're not bad. They've come a long way. But I'm like, how does he do this? So can you just kind of start me a little bit with, um, like your channel? Like what? How did you start? Like I, you know, like what do you use to edit? Like are you using Final Cut Pro 10 or what? Like just some of the details, like how you got into that with your channel. Um, well, just, just starting my channel was really a, a couple, a couple major things. It goes back to what I said that I wasn't, I didn't allow myself to talk or think about Kamira for all those years. So when I was ready to do that again, we did a reunion show in 2017 and I really yeah. started my channel in 2018 where I said, okay, I'm going to try this, try this thing. But, um, so I just had a flood of things I wanted to talk about content I could make and all that because I hadn't been for so many years and there were so many people that were asking about it. So I instantly had an, a, a small audience. So that, that was, I was lucky for that. You know, it wasn't just starting as someone no one had ever heard of or something, you know? And so I knew off the bat that, okay, if I could do this, if I could start making some videos, at least some people watch right away. And that, that'll maybe give me like a, a place to start from to get off, uh, to get off. At the same time, um, I knew that I was going to be eventually releasing the solo album with Annals, which is coming out in uh, a week or so. And my album with, uh, with my project, The Elite which I had been working on both of those simultaneously throughout all those years. And I knew that without a record label, uh, just being independent, <clears throat> that I still needed some sort of platform to let people know that those records existed. Oh. So it all just kind of came together. Okay, I could, I could do this YouTube thing. I could talk about Kamira. I could simultaneously build a platform so that when it's time to release these records, there are people out there that, that will know about it and can help spread the word and all that. So I have, I've had a master plan since day one and the building of the YouTube channel has been uh, s slow, but 
it's enough to keep it going. And I know you know what I mean, where, you know, you've planted this seed and there's a, there's a little sprout. And before you know it, blah, 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 blah. I wouldn't really say that it's like bared fruit yet, but it's gonna. And the fact that I know that just drives me to keep going and all the positivity. I'm, I'm very proud of the positivity on my oh. channel. Everyone just seems stoked and everything. So that just, that just keeps me going and I'm going to keep going. And about the, the productions and stuff like that, I feel that initially I felt that I, I need, I had, um, um, uh, an, an image with Kamira to maintain, I think. Chris Pacuza and Kamira is a fantastic graphic designer and artist, web designer, all that. Mark has a keen eye for all that. And it's, it was them that got together and, and helped create all of the Kamira artwork. All, what all that stuff looked like that you saw was, was those guys and the, the dudes they chose to work with and everything. So I knew without any art or graphic design background whatsoever that I needed to do that. I didn't want to discredit um the Kamira brand in any way by coming up with some you know shitty looking thumbnails or whatever like that so I did what you got to do and I just started teaching myself I just started watching courses I just started you know whatever it is Skillshare or lynda.com or whatever I just started teaching myself and figuring it out asking questions watching tons of videos looking what other people were doing what their thumbnails looked like uh and it's it's just like that. And fortunately, I got fortunate that um that they're that they're turning out okay and that people notice. And at the same time, it sucks because the the bar is that high. Everybody's thumbnails are looking good and stuff like that. So if yours doesn't, it sticks out as 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 not looking as good. So you gotta keep it going. You gotta keep reinventing, yeah. you gotta keep learning, you gotta keep making them better and better. You know, uh, and I'd like to get more into that because as I said, I love your channel. Um so I'll I'll have some musician friends, they'll come to me. And they'll say, uh, oh, I posted this video and I got no views. YouTube sucks. And I'm like, you posted one video? Um, okay. And I'll yeah. check on their, you know, maybe they'll have their YouTube will be there for a couple of years and they'll posted seven videos. Yeah. And I just, you know, I don't claim to be the sharpest tool in the shed, but I must have a little bit of intelligence somewhere up there. But I just look at these guys. I say, you haven't earned the right to complain to me about YouTube. Earn the right and then we'll talk. But, you know, what I say to people, too, is like, this makes me unique. There's only one me in the planet. There's only one Rob Arnold on the planet. Well, there might be different Rob Arnolds with the same name, but there was only one guy that's played in Camara, plays guitar and all that other stuff. But we all have our own individual uh, uniqueness and it's bringing that. I'm still finding myself with YouTube. But, you know, I hear so, I've had so many people, talented people say to me, oh, no, man, there's so many channels that have been done. Why do it? I'm like, well, if you don't try, you never know, right? Like, yeah. I love doing it, but I can tell, too, maybe there's also a bit of a musician thing with you. Like, you're a musician, you're a creative guy, you create. But I, I get some satisfaction out of that from doing the videos and the video editing myself. Do you find yeah. that? Totally. My, my, my favorite part is the editing. When I, when I can be, when I can turn the camera off and, I, and I'm done with that, you know, after, you know, cause you gotta plan everything out, you know, write your outline or your script or however you're going to do it. You know, you set up this shot, set up this shot, the lights, all that kind of stuff. I love when that is done. And then I bring everything into the computer and I could just veg out and edit. And um, that, that, that's my favorite part of it. Making sure the audio is right. Making sure that, that, it, that it looks good and, and learning, you know, I'm always trying to, trying to step that up and, you know, uh, I just, and watching other people's YouTubes, like, wow, that transition was smooth. I'll reverse engineer it. How did they do that? Yeah. You know, th this exactly. idea, you know, just, you know, you just, 
I think a, a lot um, for me too, I'll say just a little secret is that I watch, um, <clears throat> I watch a lot of like fitness channels or um, cooking channels, um, you know, stuff like that. And so I'm able to bring their editing secrets or methods, not secrets, methods into this heavy metal channel that I have. And so I think it's unique to that, that sometimes that I'll have these certain, whatever it is, a montage or a transition or something like that, that I saw a fitness guy do, you know, in the gym or something, you know? Yeah, no, it's, it's dude. I, I and you know, too, like you have a lot of really good um, educational stuff on your channel. Like um, uh, when you talk about pedals, you know, how to use a noise gate, like you were talking, we were talking about the 5150 and I love the amp, but it's noisy. You know, like in understanding how to use a, no a noise gate, you know, if someone had to pick their mandatory pedals, if you're playing with any amount of overdrive, you, you have to have a noise gate, right? Yeah. And I'm, I'm like you, I'm a, I'm a, uh, the noise decimator kind of guy. I have, that's my noise gate. I prefer it over the boss noise suppressor, but, uh, uh, that's a whole other, uh, ball of wax, but you've got some really, uh, really cool, uh, instructional stuff too. Now, Rob, I'm going to pay you one of the biggest compliments as a musician that I can ever give someone. Okay. All right. And, uh, you know, I don't kiss ass, so I'm just not the type of person, but I'm honest, okay? So I have, there's there's songs that I have connections with, you know? It could be an old Genesis song, you know? It, it could be some, I don't want to see the sheet music for it. I don't want to learn it on guitar. I don't want to learn it on keyboard. I don't want to know. I just want it to have that magic in my head, right? So there's been a couple of times, sometimes what I'll do is like, I'll, I'll be on one of your playlists when I, you know, when I'm like cooking or doing food prep or something before I go to the gym. But then you'll have these awesome videos of like, hey man, this is how you play this Camaro riff. This is, and it's great. I would encourage any metalhead to go and check them out. But for me, like, you know, the dehumanizing process or cleansation stuff, I'm like, dude, I don't want to know. I don't want to know how to play it. I don't want to know. And really that's, I have such a connection to those riffs and those songs. I don't want to know how to do it. I just don't want to know. I just want to. It's kind of like a mechanic looking under the hood of a, of a, of a car. You know, I just don't want to, I just don't want to go there. Do you sure. ever, have you, have you ever had that with any songs? Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know that I thought about it exactly like that uh, until right now, but, but sure. There are certain songs that call me to want to try to play a riff from them, but probably more so that don't, yeah. you know what I mean? Uh, I talk a lot about Opeth lately. Yeah, I absolutely love their their guitar playing, their riffs, just ev everything they do. But like, I don't know that I could play any Opeth riffs right now, just because yeah. it doesn't call me to pick it up and want to try to try to learn that stuff. But they're what I put on all the time when I just in the background, like you were talking about, you know, yeah. um, doing whatever. So um, I, I would say so. Yeah, just like, like I said, only certain things call you Metallica early on. I had to learn all that stuff back yeah, then. Yeah, me too. You yeah, know, no, I but so, when you have that connection with certain, there's just, and that's a big compliment I'm giving you. It's like, I, I don't want to know. I don't want to know how to play those. I just, you know, I just man. like having them in my head when I go to the gym and I put it on and there's just something about the drums, the riffs and Mark's voice that I just, I got to find some of my old lifting videos and, you know, <laughs> maybe put, try and put some Camara underneath to it or whatever. Cause that was go a ahead. big part yeah, of yeah. my playlist. It's so weird because I didn't connect, I connected to it as a, as a music teacher, but I remember at that time being so busy running a music school and, and uh you know uh gigging and, and playing the certain like i just i was so focused on my teaching but i remember some kids sure. coming in with camera but i connected to it more as a lifter so it's 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 really kind of weird and now here we are but we're now we're talking about more of the guitar angle of it but uh, i appreciate but, that yeah yeah no man awesome um when i watch your videos you seem like a really organized guy to me do you have ocd 
Um, it's, 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 it's funny. Just my daughter, the, the other, like two nights ago said to me, I think I have OCD. And I said, everybody's got OCD in, in one way or another, you know, yeah. just we all, everybody's got little quirks and stuff like that. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I guess I'd consider myself organized, but again, I think everybody's organized in certain ways and perhaps unorganized in others. But uh, I feel that being as organized as possible leads to as little stress as possible. Yeah. Everybody knows when you're unorganized and shit's disheveled or whatever like that, it can get stressful. I try to avoid stress whenever possible. Yeah. It doesn't feel good. <laughs> no, that's a big key to life, man. I, 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 you know, I've had my battles with anxiety and stress and everything talks for another day, but it's very important. Uh, knowing when to avoid stress, you know, it's, it's very important, but so, when you can, that's it. There's it's, it's times you can't, but exactly. So let me, let me ask you about YouTube. So, you know, you're busy with, you know, with, with working, you got a family, how do you fit YouTube into your schedule? Are you kind of on a routine with that? How do you do it? For, for two full years plus, I released a, a video every Sunday and, and really nothing in between. Maybe once in a while, I'd have five videos a month, maybe six videos a month, just depending if something came up or something, you know, but basically my week would be about my Sunday video, um, you know, on Monday. Well, mo after I'd release on Sunday and then on Monday, it's, it's kind of a lot of curating that video, as you know, answering comments, making sure that it's, um, you know, as many people are aware of as possible on the socials, you know, and that's that's content creation in its own, you know, just preparing social media posts and stuff like that. And then answering and interacting with with those comments and really trying to lead people back to the channel or the website or whatever so that they can discover more, because I believe so much in, in the, the compounding of all that. Um, so, uh, but so starting like maybe like Tuesday, I'd try to start thinking of ideas. Sometimes the idea would be clear to me. Sometimes the idea isn't there until an hour before I'm turning on the cameras, you know, like maybe I have just something general in mind, but my week was, was really about, um, creating that video, curating my, my Patreon community all that, which is a completely just separate content creation entity. I have to create for that as well, too, to try to keep people um, happy over there and engaged over there. <laughs> Both work together, YouTube and Patreon. They feed each other in a sense, you know, in terms of their yeah. their, their growth and all that. Um, but I knew that I needed a, to put out this, uh, this new, my new solo album, Magnitude, and I couldn't find the time to work on that and finish that off um, while also just doing the normal YouTube thing that I was doing. So just over the past couple months, well, uh, probably four or five months now, I've slowed down the YouTube so that I could finish off Magnitude. And um, so I've just been releasing a little bit less. And, you know, as you watch the numbers, you can just see, you know, the plant wilting. Um, so my strategy, actually, and I'm telling you this is because I've just as as another creator, you you I know you like hearing you'll like hearing this. Um, but, uh, so I'm like, all right, I got to conquer this somehow. I don't want the channel to die off, but I've made this commitment to finish this record. How can I, how can I do both? How can I keep the channel alive? And one day, you know, YouTube just, they send out idea type emails every once in a while of, of things you could do. And I just happened to read this thing that said, you know, try repurposing your old content into shorts and they have a tool where you can do that. And, um, the first one I did was actually, uh, my interview with Chris Bakuza, everything you love, like maybe like 32 or 33, but I didn't like the way that 
it like zoomed in on him to turn a, a 16 by nine vertical. And like, yeah. I had no control over exactly how I wanted. I wanted better production in that short yeah. and, and all that. And um, so I'm like, all right, I'm just going to make, start making my own shorts. And so for over the past month, I've released a short every single day, uh, just taking like my old videos. And again, it all comes back to what I said at the beginning of this about the compounding of all this. So when I'm releasing a, a short about learning uh, down again from the impossibility of reason or something like that, that not only keeps views there, but it's, it's attracting in the shorts market, new viewers that then hopefully will go check out the full video. And so it's all just part of part of the, a funnel like that, yeah. um, you know, just, just, to, just to keep it going. And the channel um, is, has re-blossomed without me really creating much long form content at all. Over the past month, I think I've released two Sunday videos, um, you, you know, and uh, that seems to be working well. So it's not turning into that, but it's just a little like supplementation trick that now I'm going to continue with that. I'm going to go back to um, still releasing at least one video a week. I'd like to try to do more, but with family and stuff like that, it's yeah. it's hard. At which I, I it sucks to even say because you know there are lots of guys out there they're doing a couple of videos a day, and you wonder how in the world can they they find the time for that or the ideas for that or just yeah. all that. So I'm not at that level by any means, yeah. but um, you know I'm just learning every single day, refining every single day, as I'm sure you are as well. Yeah, uh, and I just still feel that I haven't. I'm still way at the bottom, but I'm ready to level up. I, I give myself the opportunity to level up when opportunities come in and I'm constantly striving towards that. I, I find, you know, when, if someone came to me and said, I, you know, give me uh, can you um, give me what's the best advice really quickly you can give me? I'd say consistency and lighting. <laughs> lighting has been, it's still not where I want it to be, but you know, when you watch videos with good lighting and videos with bad lighting, it's, it, or, you know, it's it, lighting, it's one of those things you can't invest a lot of money in it, but it's one of those things, even with natural light, if you know how to use it, and I'm still learning and learning, but that's one of the things I find really makes a difference with videos is lighting. And again, it's, it's being consistent. So like when I have someone come to me and go, Oh, I posted a video and it got no views and I got no subscribers from it. I'm like, yeah, but you haven't posted a video in the six months beforehand. Like, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's a lot of work and you have to commit to it, but you know, it's, it's, it, you know, it's still not PhD stuff. Like consistency is part of the whole thing. I think, I think it probably takes almost a year just to really get into the algorithm with YouTube. For sure. And that, that like I said, that that production bar is high. So you can't, yeah, sure. It can happen where somebody can have some super shitty quality video that, that goes viral because the content's so great, you know, and, but it's a, it's a mix of that. It needs to be great engaging content that provides value to the viewer while also showing that you're willing to put time into the production so that it, it's just keeps up with the standard. You know what I'm saying? Like you don't need to go yeah. over the top and have, have a, whatever a Hollywood production or whatever like that, but at least try to put some effort in and stuff. So, Hey, and I know, man, the lighting is tough too. I'm still trying trying to figure that out every single day, even though I've tried to get some better lights and learn. It's all about just learning. It's knowing how to use that light. Like you said, even with daylight and stuff, but even know that I've got, got my setup here and I got these lights, I still feel like it's different every single time I turn on the cameras and every single time I need to make adjustments still, every single video is still just trying to dial it in. You know, I don't have something that I just flip on and it's ready to go every time I get closer to that each time, you yeah. know, but it's always learning, always refining. Absolutely. So you're wicked at setups, man. And I got to tell you, um, I, I have, I have a history, I have an education in electronics and I'll, I'll delve in it when I need to, but it's still not my thing, but I'll do it. Like if I had a student say, Oh, if you fix right. this solder connection or whatever, yeah, okay, I'll do it. But, uh, I, I took a course from a Luthier 
15 years ago on how to do a setup for a fixed bridge. And of course, you know, if you do an immaculate setup, it makes a huge difference with the guitar. I'm a Floyd Rose guy uh, for all my metal guitars, but mm -hmm. I just, I just, I don't know why. It's just something I should learn, but I just don't want to deal with it. I pay someone to do them. But uh, one of my bucket list goals is to sit down with your videos and learn how to do it myself with the Floyd Rose. But how long did it take you to uh, learn the hang of all that stuff? Uh, I think I said it in my first float video that it took me 20 years to, I think I, in the video I said master the Floyd, but I mean more understand the Floyd and just, it's just a balancing act. And if you can figure out what you need to balance and what to, to counteract, you know, movements in tension versus, you know, string tension versus spring tension. Once you can understand that through through enough persistence and determination, you can get that right and learn along a lot along the way of why that's happening i have so many haters though i'll say that that you know these know-it-all guys that that'll be like what a waste of time all you need to do is this this and this and this or those 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 videos where i know you, you know what i'm talking about where one guy there'll be some guy he's just got some method where all you do got to do is tune like the middle fine tuner and then work your way out and it just takes five minutes you know there's all these magic tricks i don't believe in that i mean the guy did it on camera and it looked it certainly looked like it worked and he was convincing but that doesn't work for me. And I feel like if, if, if those shortcuts really worked videos, like my, my, my float video, one of my first videos is the most popular video on my entire channel uh, on a consistent basis, gets the most views every single day out of any video. So there are that, it, that tells me there are hundreds of guys every single day trying to learn how to manage their Floyd Rose. Which it's insane to me, you know, yeah. like the, there's, there's that many people that are, that are trying to learn. So I don't know what it is. If, if my, drawn out explanation process is attractive to them because it gets a lot of compliments but like i said there's haters too that there are very there may be better methods out yeah. there but uh oh, you're pretty wicked at it man i've seen the videos thank I, I mean i've been thank you but yeah i've been a lot around uh you know i've been obviously using floyds for many many years like so many of us have but i've been around a lot of great techs you know just you know i'd have my i had my strings changed we all you know matt and i had a string change every single day on the road. So, um, you know, multiple guitars. So I was just around that uh, a lot. I heard a lot of different perspectives, you know, from a lot of different texts, a lot of different luthiers, a lot of big texts from different bands that are, love to share information, or you could just sit around and watch them and stuff like that. So, um, and then, like I said, Joe, it's really just having the realization that all, all that kind of is with the Floyd specifically is just a balancing act. And once you can figure out the two ends of the, the teeter totter there, oh, 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 okay. It just clicks for you. And then you just, like I said, you got a determination and eventually it'll work out. You, you know, I think part of it for me is I'm scared to screw up one of my guitars trying it. Uh, is that something, would you ever do that in Cleveland? If you had like someone saying, dude, I'll pay you whatever you want. Just sit down with me for two hours and teach me how to do it. Is that something you'd consider doing? Um, I mean, that, that sounds fun to me, but I kind of just don't take on anything like that anymore because yeah. all it does is, is, take away from take time away from what I know I need to be doing. Yeah. You know, so um really that's that's another thing that I did was I was producing um like local bands um in, in my studio downtown before COVID hit. Um and you know I was I, I guess I did some setups for guys here and there, stuff like that. Anything really I was I was taking on any work I could get. Yeah. Doing solos for guys projects for guest guest spots, all that kind of stuff. But when I decided that all right I'm gonna try this YouTube thing I really haven't taken on, a, I cut it off clean. 
I haven't taken on a project or really done any collaborations or anything like that because you just don't have the time. I don't personally. There, there are guys that can make so many things happen, but when it comes to juggling it for me, if if I'm doing something else, then I'm not putting the time into, you know, growing the channel like I need to. So I, I want to tell you something uh, on that because you're very good at doing it, and that's very admirable. It's, I know it's on my bucket list. I got to sit down sometime with uh, Rob's videos, and I got to learn how to do my own Floyd Rose setups, but. As a guitar teacher for many years, I we know that when you buy a guitar from a store, you get it off, uh, especially if there's a Floyd, you know, I'd have students come to me and I'd be like, it's not staying in tune. The guitar, they don't really do a setup on it. And, you know, I won't mention any store names, but uh, anyway, I know there's been uh, situations where they would take the guitar back to the store and say, okay, I have to get a setup done on it. I don't know if you're, if you know about this phenomenon. They pay 50 bucks or 100 whatever whatever it costs. And then they get it back, and I'll be like, this hasn't been set up, right? So it's kind of like sometimes if you take it to a bad mechanic, they take your money. You don't know if they've done something to your vehicle or not. A lot of that goes on. A lot of people don't know that. So for me, I'm very fussy about who I would let work on my guitars. And the luthier that used to set up do the setups of my guitars, he retired and he disappeared a few years ago. So it took me a while to get the trust with another guy to be my setup guy he, he does great work whatever but it's definitely something that a lot of people aren't aware of and get taken advantage of at some music stores well yeah, that, that's certainly a shame that uh you know guys are, are taking advantage of people like that yeah. you know and and to their credit perhaps perhaps it was set up right but a lot of young players with the floyd don't understand that one small movement if you just try to turn the fine tuner of your of your floyd or let's say if you've unlocked your nut and do anything then all of a sudden the balancing act is thrown out so, you know, if like, oh, I just want to go to drop D, you know, that's going to have an effect on everything, yeah. you know, a, a little bit. So my biggest piece of advice I have for any young player is start with a fixed bridge because you will have problems with your Floyd that will be frustrating and will, you know, you'll, you'll play less. Yeah. The point, the, the, the way to get better at guitar is to play, play more and to play all the time. And you don't want to have any obstacles in the way, you know, keeping a, as a young player, keeping a guitar in tune is hard enough with a fixed bridge, yeah. you know, learning what in tune sounds like and all that and everything. So then to have this tremendous challenge of having to deal with a Floyd Rose two with no idea of what's going on in there or why, yeah. you know, I, I say young guitar should stay away from that. I, uh, I watched a really awesome video you had the other day of these ever tune. Yeah. Guitars. So one of my students, you know, he, he's got a band, they're doing well, he's done touring. He actually bought my old uh, 6505 rig from me. Uh, it, was a, it was quite the rig, but uh, cool. he's got some solar guitars with that, um, with that, those types of bridges. And I'm like, oh, dude, I don't know, I'm a Floyd Rose. He's like, man, you got to try it, you got to try it. So I was watching your video on that the other night going, I would like to know in person from you, uh, you know, having us, both of us been Floyd Rose guys, how do you feel about the Evertune Bridges? All right, so I just feel it's just another tool in the toolbox. And used in the right place, it's incredible. Tracking guitars, um, or, well, I mean, for any, you can play live with it. The one drawback for me is that the vibrato isn't true. And as a Floyd player or an experienced player, you know, you know what your vibrato should sound like and feel like. And just what when you, you bend to a certain note, you have certain expectations of what that note's going to be like. Uh, the Evertune just isn't as true. You can set it to a certain place where it gives you the most amount of pitch bend capability, or you can set it to where there's zero 
pitch bend capability. I could take a string and yank it this far off the neck and it will stay in tune because there's a mechanism in there compensating for that difference in tune. So you can set that up how you want, but even set to the furthest place or to the, to, so it has the most bendability, it's still just not quite as true. So I personally wouldn't play with it live and do, do my solos or anything like that. Now, just for straight riffing or whatever, um, like let's say Matt DeVries, he doesn't do a lot of vibrato. It is a perfect tool for him. For tracking in the studio, when you want to get those octave chords and overdubs all perfectly in tune, they will be perfectly in tune mm -hmm. as long as it's set up right and, and in tune to start. There, there, there are no variables with that. It will be perfectly in tune. And, and so for that side of the thing, a lot of time when I was track, tracking uh, magnitude now here, I'd grab my uh, MH-1000 there with the Evertune. And uh, if I just needed some chords or whatever like that, that didn't have a any bending or vibrato or whatever, and I just put those parts in. Then I'd grab a guitar with a Floyd to do the parts where I wanted to have, um, you know, vibrato and stuff. So it's just another tool in the box. Cool. But I, I think they're awesome. Okay. I might venture into that territory. Not sure yet. Um, so you have a new album out, uh, your solo album, Magnitude. I was fortunate enough to get a sneak preview. Uh, Assassin is my favorite track. Awesome. But again, it's, you know, uh, you know, the riffs, of course, you know, obviously, you know, I think of Camara too, and I, I hear the riffs because you're playing on them, but, uh, man, it just gets me pumped up. So, uh, let's talk a little bit about that. How did that come about? Who played on it? And, uh, I, I'd really like to tell people where they can get it. Sure. So it's been a long time in the making. Um, right after I left Kamira in uh, my, la my last show was uh, December 30th of 2011. And then um, in all of 2012, I started building my recording studio. And at the same time, I was writing the majority of the songs for Magnitude. And my end goal was to build this recording studio, teach myself how to record. I mean, I had a general knowledge at that point just because I had been in studios for the past decade with Kamira and I was always the guy that was sitting there in the control room the entire time asking questions and studying so i had a, i had a pretty good idea but still you don't know till you get into it and um you know after years of experience i finally felt ready to put this record out but backing back up to that i wrote these songs and built the studio knowing that one day i would be able to produce and mix and release this album myself from my own studio without uh the help of a label um same with the elite project uh, and, and that's what, that was just my end goal, why I got into that. Now, along the way, I ran out of money, you know, and had to start recording local bands. And, and so that put off my own projects and I could only chip away at them little by little. So it took me 10 years of, of, you know, working in the studio and slowly chipping away at my album to be able to put it on out, but I wouldn't have changed anything about it because those 10 years were invaluable. All that I learned working with local bands and, you know, reading and watching YouTube videos and practicing and gaining the experience that I did, where had I put the record out in 2013, it wouldn't sound near like it, it did now that I put it out in 2022. Um, so, but again, backing up there, I recorded these, uh, I wrote these songs in 2012. I sent them to Andals Herrick, which is Kamira's drummer, not at the time, but for many wicked years. Wicked drummer, man. He's wicked. He's wicked. Yeah, dude. Um, so he's uh, considered, uh, you know, part of the classic lineup. And um, we've been we've been we've been friends since we were 15 years old. Went to high school together, played in bands together before before Kamira. So I just I just knew I wanted him to play on it, and that's what people wanted too. Uh, people have been asking for a long time. Everybody loves 
implements of destruction and the heart of it all and the, those type of things. And um, people love the vocals too, but I'd hear all the time, oh, I just want some instrumental stuff. So I thought that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to make an instrumental record. And of course now I'm getting hate comments like, where are the vocals? Be better with vocals and stuff, you know, so you can't please everybody. You never can. But anyways, no. I'm glad I did this, got it out of the way um, and, and uh, made this instrumental record and tracked it. Um, you know, and then his, his health started declining after that, but I got him in his prime still. Okay. And, um, uh, he, he knocked it out of the park and yeah. So for, took me 10 years to, to put it all together, just tracking, retracking riffs here and there. Cause I wrote the songs, but slowly I'd retract the riffs over all these years, popping in solos here and there, different ideas I'd, I'd have for overdubs and things like that. Mixed record. Um, yeah, just came out December 9th. And uh, people can find it everywhere. Spotify, iTunes, Apple Music. Go to robarnoldworld.com, you know, to find a link there for uh, to, to get yourself a CD or links to any of those uh, streaming networks like I just, uh, streaming platforms like I just mentioned. Awesome. Rob, it has been an absolute pleasure. And thank hey, you so thank much you, for joining us today. Hopefully, maybe we can reconnect again and do another one of these down the road. That would be awesome. All right. Yeah. So there you go, guys. Go check out Rob's new solo album, Magnitude. Check it out on Spotify. You're going to have links all over here in the description box as well and in the video. Remember, practice hard, but practice smart. And we'll see you soon. I like that.